On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the stories of parents learning how to raise a child with a rare disease. Our co-hosts, Sanath Kumar Ramesh and Brittany Ratke, parents of rare disease kiddos who have very different situations. Sanath's son Raghav has an ultra-rare disorder known as Setagatian-type spondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Brittany's daughter Everly has been diagnosed with SET-D5, a mutation that carries with it the potential for a range of complications and even other diagnoses. My name is Kevin Fryert. After 30 years doing research and development at Pfizer, I started Salem Oaks to help patients and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D. Our goal on Raising Rare is to help and lift up our listeners by sharing the unfolding stories of these two families. We also feature the stories of other rare disease families, clinicians, researchers, and industry leaders in the rare disease community. If you'd like to follow these parent stories, please subscribe to Raising Rare on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome back to Raising Rare. Today, we are really excited to be talking to Susan Gagan. She's a rare mom, twofold, and she's got a very interesting story, and I think it's really going to be engaging. Brittany is a really good friend of Susan. They've talked a lot, but unfortunately, Brittany's not here today. Everly took a, a little turn for the worse, and so we're all praying and pulling for her, and we're going to carry on and have the discussion. Uh, Susan's going to have to get used to Sonneth and I. So, Sonneth. Sonneth, how's Raghav doing? Um, he's he's doing stable. He's been uh, going through the the same crying episodes that he's been going through for the last several months. Um, now his sleep is starting to get worse, so we are uh, trying to treat that with some sleep medications. We'll see how that goes. Um, but overall, uh, I think we are holding okay. That's good. And you still have stayed off the experimental medication? Yes, we have not turned that on yet. Uh, there are too many variables going on at the same time. So we are now um, in the process of keeping all the medication static and tuning his food schedule. Um, so we think because he was continuously fed before, maybe his stomach is going through a toss. And if we can give it more breaks in between, it might recover. We don't know. We don't even know if it's if it's stomach related or GI related. Um, definitely manifests as GI, but uh, we don't we don't really know. So let's get into this, uh, Susan. The first thing I want to ask you is tell us about Susan before you even had children. I don't. I barely remember her. <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah, I, I actually was talking about that with my therapist today, about how seven and a half years ago, I was so I was such a different person, and such a different place. And um, I kind of look back at who that person was. And um, Lorelai's birthday was actually last week. So she it was her seventh birthday. And so this time of year is very 
you know, it brings up all those emotions. And I remember being admitted to the hospital for preeclampsia, and then that turned into an emergency C-section and all of the things. And I wrote a post on Facebook last week, like, bless that girl that was me seven and seven years ago. And I remember writing a post being like, pray for us, little Lorelai's coming like far earlier than expected. And, and this is just so hard. And I, I don't want to ever discredit where I was seven years ago, because that was very hard. But then the plot twist that came (laughs) of being a rare mom times two um, is far harder than, quote, being just a preemie mom that I thought I was. Um, But before kids, I had my own businesses. I was into marketing and sales. Um, I also had my own wedding planning business. So I plan. I, by trade, I am a planner. And I was so good at planning that people would pay me to plan for them. And then God's like, ha ha, here's your, here's your life path. <laughs> like you couldn't have planned this one. So, uh, yeah, it, it, those skills of planning, I, I wouldn't say they went to waste with this rare mom life because I definitely need those planning skills to keep all of the things in their places. But Lorelai and then Benji later taught me that I can have plans, but that doesn't mean they're going to happen and that we can always pivot. That is so true. A random connection. Um, Before my son Raga was born, uh, Rami and I, my wife and I, briefly did a wedding invitation business. Um, So we used to to sell wedding invitations online. So if we ever decide to like get back into the business, I... (laughs) I don't plan on it. I don't know about you, but I I couldn't I love brides. If there are brides listening, I love you all. But when I had a 6-month-old that I was told had a 2 to 5-year life expectancy, I didn't give a crap what color bridesmaids dresses we were arguing about. Like I just couldn't put my self into that anymore and I didn't want to take away from any of my clients. So that's when I closed up that business. I can totally relate to it. I think life gives you a different perspective uh, and places more importance on, on, on things of tangible value than you know things that you may or may not even care about in 20 years from now. So tell us about your rare disease parenting story. You, you introduced Lorelai and Benji, but, but tell us more. Tell us more about them. And- So Lorelai is my first, uh, first time mom, first time pregnancy, everything was going fine. And there were some complications with me. Um, I had preeclampsia. We ended up, um, it was like right after Super Bowl Sunday. Every Super Bowl now, I think of that Super Bowl where we went to a party and I barely knew the people. And I was like, can I just sit on your couch and put my feet up? Like something isn't right. And the next day I called my doctor and I was like, I know this is like, I just got into the third trimester, but I can't move my fingers. They're so swollen. Is that normal? (laughs) She's like, no, please come in. Um, So got in there, 
you know it's not a good sign when the nurse checks your blood pressure three times and then calls for a backup. Uh, I was immediately sent to the hospital and was told, it's okay, we're going to get your yourself under control, your blood pressure under control. Um, it was Valentine's and it was snowing here in Virginia, which where we are in Virginia, like half an inch of snow shuts everything down. Like we don't do snow. And so everybody was like, we're leaving the hospital early. Um, they did an ultrasound. They're like something could, it could be something called Dandy Walker syndrome, but we're not really sure. So we'll follow up with you on Monday. It was a Friday. You do not leave two parents in the hospital in that situation. But we, of course, I, on every episode of my podcast, everybody goes, well, then I Googled. And then we all roll our eyes knowing that we should not Google. Um, and we kind of started Googling what Dandy Walker was. And in hindsight, we probably would have picked Dandy Walker over mitochondrial disease. Um and yeah, so Lorelai, my, my body started to stabilize after a long, I think it was 40 hours on a magnesium drip, which is awful. Would not recommend that for anybody, but we needed it. And they started realizing that Lorelai was crashing. I firmly believe in my heart and soul that God needed me to get into the hospital so that Lorelai could survive this pregnancy. And they sent me to another hospital closer to Children's Hospital King's Daughters, our local um, children's hospital. And within 24 hours, there was an emergency C-section. And my daughter came out. She was 33 weeks. And she came out um, less than three pounds. So she was in the third percentile for a 33-pounder. And um, they were like something, you know, like, we don't know what's going on. Longer story short, we spent 77 days in the NICU. And about halfway through there, we found ourselves sitting in a quiet conference room with a geneticist, the head neonatologist, a chaplain. It's never good when there's a geneticist and a chaplain in the same room, <laughs> like not a place you really want to be. And they told me that um, Lorelai had a rare form of mitochondrial disease that affects her FBXL4 gene. They said that she was the 31st documented case, and I thought they meant at that hospital. Um, I thought, and then I was like, so, and they're like, no, no. And I was like, so in Virginia? They're like, no. Um, 31st documented case worldwide. And they said that she would probably never walk, talk, or eat by mouth. And then they said that, because if that wasn't enough, then they said this, if you have another child, it's a 25% chance of this happening again. Um, my husband and I both have a rare recessive gene, and that's what gave us our beautiful children in all of their uniqueness. Um that was not the entry into motherhood that I ever expected. And I'm sure so many of your listeners can agree and understand the same, feel the same way. Um, that was 2016. And then in 2019, we had Benji. Um, we did do the amnio and we found out prior to his birth that he too has mitochondrial disease. Um, Lorelai was doing really well. Um, she had 
numerous setbacks in the three years before Benji. Um, we tried to do Disney and she got the flu and we got stuck at Arnold Palmer for three weeks in Orlando um, on life support. And like we had our hurdles and it was terrifying, but we just felt like somebody was still missing. And um, Benji is kind of that that little unique puzzle piece that kind of just finished our family for us. Um, he is the sweetest little bear. <laughs> he is, he's such a sweet little kid. Um, Lorelai is beautiful and loud and colorful. And um, she is a tiny version of me. And Benji is a tiny version of my husband who is like very engineering and, you know, you can see the wheels turning in his head and you're like, I know you're thinking something right now, but like, (laughs) um, so Lorelai, um, she passed in July of 21. Um, the last six ish months of her life with mitochondrial disease, it's a progressive disease. And we could see uh, the autonomic storming and the sleeping issues and the, we protected her from so many viruses, but um, the storming kept putting her in the ICU. And I would say like every five to seven weeks we were in the ICU and my kid timed it with all the holidays. She loved holidays in the hospital. And the last stay was 4th of July. Um, we went in. I I had caught a cold. And I it was Benji's birthday that we went to a farm. And I caught a cold at the farm. And then we couldn't figure out how Laurel I got it last. But it was such a blessing that she got it last because it was her shortest hospital stay. It was Benji's first virus and her last virus. Um she was admitted on the night of the 4th and she passed on the 7th and it was not the way I had planned it. You know, I said I was a planner and I had, when they handed me this beautiful little baby and said, this is her condition and here's her expectancy and here's what science says, being a planner, I planned like, we're going to do this at home. We're going to have a beautiful passing. It's going to be peaceful. It's going to be... Lorelai did it her way on a holiday in the hospital. There was Hurricane Elsa flying through at the same time. And um, like, I mean, she did it her way and it wasn't what I planned, but it ended up being um, tragically beautiful. I have connections or I'm able to connect um, with a lot of things that you say, including the mitochondrial disease aspect. It's so powerful how you know life turns a turns an upside turns us upside down, and you know creates new opportunities and ways for us to rejoice every single moment of of our life. And I think you know contrasting your life before Benji and Lorelai and 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 now I'm I'm sure there's you have personally grown leaps and bounds because of of these two cute little kids. And not only that, it it gives you the why and the drive to to influence the life of so many other kids. Um, I, I look at that 
both from my own life point of view and also from folks like you and and keep asking the question how how does one have the strength to do all of this you know being on the on the on the driver's seat and the first person point of view is very different from a third person point of view both both points of views are important um, and for some situations in my son's life i am trying to get the third person point of view because the first person point of view is too depressing but it is really hard and you don't have a choice but to but to go through this and get to the finish line and you know we all think you know that's the end of the race it is not life keeps going on and we we it didn't happen overnight by any means but when i was told that she had according to science, two to five years, uh, there was part of me that was like, oh no, my kid's going to prove them wrong. We're going to do this different. This is not going to be our story. But just in case it is, we need to make this an epic two to five years. Like she needs to make a difference in this world. And she didn't have to make a difference like that. You know, like if she never made a difference, that would have been fine too. But for me, I wanted to know that we could make something good come out of this. So we started volunteering at our children's hospital. I joined some boards and committees and tried to give back with my marketing skills. Um, I opened our home up to, I don't know the exact name of it, but we joke that it's called rent a resident program. And the residents came to our home and got to experience life as a rare family, they got to spend an afternoon with us and see what it was like. Um, Is there a program like that? Because like last week I was talking to my wife about starting a program of, of some sorts like that. Yeah, I can get the name for you. It's through our children's hospital. It's part of the residence program. Uh, I believe the th- first years have to do it. Um, but it was... Um, like parents as educators or something like that. Uh, But it was really great because I still have connections with some of the residents that came to my house. And um, I have a podcast now and several of them listened to it. And they're like, you know, the insight that you gave us helped form how we talk to families and how we care for families. And the one, I love her, Alicia, she is now I think in Cincinnati and she was a resident when I guess Lorelai was about two. And then when Benji was being born, she was like hunting me down in the hospital. Like, I mean, it, it gives so much um, significance to what they're doing and that connection is super important um, that you don't get when you're in the hospital as a patient and a caregiver. This is so timely because um, this afternoon I, I read a quote from a book called Among Whales. It says, any observant local knows more than any visiting scientist. Always no exceptions. And I'd been pondering a lot about this quote because of all of the challenges that my son is going through. I know more about him, but I don't know enough science to or, or medicine to 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 do something about it. I can influence the doctors, but I only get fifteen minutes with them, and they kind of go by my words. Um, and you know what you see in front of your eyes is different from what you hear and interpret it. So I've been thinking a lot about this sort of a, a residence. Um, residents in residence program. 
<laughs> I will tell you though, they, they were like, wait a minute, you do all of this? And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> like the one stayed with us for like six hours. And I know this isn't what we planned on talking about today, but the one was with us for six hours. And, um, you know, I was making dinner and plugging my feeding kids in with their feeding tubes and drawing their meds. And then the physical therapist came in and then she's like, how do you do all of this? And I mean, I had asked when we first started the program, are we supposed to just like sit down and have a conversation? They're like, no, you do your life, you do whatever you normally do, and you let them join. And it was it was so cool. We haven't done it since before COVID just because um, we realized how, how immunocompromised we are when Lorelai, she passed from a common head cold, it was rhinovirus. And now we are just terrified. Uh, we are terrified to bring anybody in our home. I'm pretty sure I have the, the fear of you know, social spaces now because of that reason. I'm terrified of going anywhere that's where I get, where people are close to me because of the yeah. common cold. And we, um, I don't know about you, but we, I feel like I have to calculate the risk every time we want to go anywhere. Like, is it worth that? Like, is it worth, Benji went to a restaurant for the very first time last week for Lorelai's birthday. It was an outdoor restaurant. And, um, I can tell you Lorelai had magical superpowers and I told you she did 77 days in the ICU or sorry, in the NICU. And then she passed on seven, seven. And then her birthday, um, is on February 16th, but random weather here, it was a high of 77 that day. So Lorelai is magical. And for her birthday, we went out to dinner and it was Benji's first time. He's three and a half and he had never been to a restaurant before, but we could sit outside and, you know, it was a really big deal for us to make that decision to go out and that was worth it for us. And the kid, Benji doesn't eat by mouth, but he licks ranch dressing and he would just sit there. He was looking at all the tables around us and he's like, people just come here to eat. (laughs) you guys spend so much time doing this stuff while he just doesn't have to do any of that (laughs) he's Mm -hmm. more efficient so so susan you have this unfortunate and unique position of being both a grieving mom and a medical mom at the same time you've got two kids that's challenging enough two rare kids ups it again And then you've got to deal with how do you get through the grief, that particular grief, and how do you get through the day? So that's my question. How do you do that? I don't know. Um, I I mean, I wish I had a scientific answer of how we do this. And kind of like Santa just said, like that first person and third person, like, how do you do this? How do we face this day? Um, I have found myself questioning a lot of why did this happen? Why, why do I have two children like this? Why is one on earth and one in heaven? And how am I going to handle this? And how do I, you know, before she passed, there was so much anticipatory grief. Like I just felt it day in and day out. And I was in therapy, um, talk therapy at that time. And that therapist was like, you need to just 
like go outside and cry, like go get this out. Like, and one of the things she told me was it like, she's like, I'm not going to tell you to not think about Lorelai passing because it's in your face every single day. She's like, but I do want you, if you're going to think about her passing, I want you to think five minutes about something great. Five minutes when she was happy and you were at the park or at Disney or wherever it was. Um, And that really helped me at the time. And I thought, this is just really, really hard. And kind of like I was saying earlier, in my mind, I go, bless that person who thought that that was hard, having two rare kids, one critically ill at the time and dying. Like, it was hard. It was so hard. Um, But now I have grief, grief, (laughs) um, grief of loss. And now Benji is declining and I'm having anticipatory grief on top of that. And it's hard. Um, I found myself going, I don't know who I'm going to be when this is over. Um, because I know, I know too much about the disease now. So it's almost harder watching it happen to Benji because I know too much. Um, with Lorelai, these autonomic storms and these like, quote, behavioral bad nights were just behavioral bad nights in my mind. And I thought, this is a four-year-old. And now (laughs) Benji is sassy. Or no, I take that back. Sorry. Lorelai is sassy. Benji is so serious. And so when Benji is doing what Lorelai was doing, I was like, this isn't my, this, this isn't Benji. And all those years I was like, doodle, just go to sleep. (laughs) Like, we're not playing. We're not doing this. We're not storming. We're not like, just go to sleep. Her brain was just screwing with her all night. And now I'm seeing it for Benji. And I feel so much because there's nothing I can do about it. And I like, I want to fix this. And I, (laughs) you guys caught me on a day of I'm in, I'm in EMDR trauma therapy now. And it has been so good for me um, because I know that I need to figure out all of the layers of trauma that I've had over the last seven years before Benji gets to that point. Um, And I'm just trying to make myself have the grounding skills that I need and things like that so that I can manage all of it. But, you know, I, I see it happening to him and I'm like, how do I do this? And I'm trying to take care of him and I'm trying to take care of myself at the same time and go, don't go to that place. He's not where she was yet. Like, don't go there yet. And then on top of it, I've kind of, um, my podcast is a lot of like, it's medical moms kind of just telling our stories and connecting like this. And we just ramble a lot like I'm doing right now, but we, we connect over these things. And I, I've thought like, why am I here and doing this? And now I'm connecting with the bereaved moms and I'm connecting with the moms of disabled rare kiddos. And I, I, can see how both of my kids are making it this amazing picture wherever they are in their journeys. We invariably, every once in a while, get into really deep conversations and topics in this podcast. 
And I can personally tell you there have been moments in my life that have taken a 360 for the good because someone in this podcast told me a word. And there was once when um, someone talked about sleep and and I was talking to them about how I don't sleep as much and you know how that's causing all the challenges. And they asked me why. And that turned my my perspective on sleep for the good. It's been two years. I have not had any night less than uh, six or eight hours of sleep. And I, I, I believe these conversations that we have, we're having here are so powerful um, because we don't get to talk about these topics in any other setting, right? In, in a social setting, you don't want to bring up tough conversations. No one wants to sit in a coffee shop and cry over the, the challenges we have going on because people will ask you why. No one wants to just, you know, set up a meeting to be able to talk about this, right? And I, I believe these conversations are more important to be had than to be shelved. So I'm, I'm really glad you have this podcast talking to all of the moms about their journeys and, and, and bringing your perspective, which is so unique um, in, in, in a lot of different ways. And for me, this conversation is taking me down the path where I could spend the next two hours to talking about the depths of everything you described in the last, last three minutes. Uh, because there, there are a lot of things that are racing in my mind, autonomous harming, progression of the disease, your acceptance and, and sort of the, the processing of the grief and the processing of the anticipated grief are all elements that, you know, I am personally not equipped to handle. Uh, even though I have a therapist, it is still hard for them to prepare me in anticipation of what could happen because, well, you know, things could turn out for the good. I, don't, I never know. I don't know how much to prepare. I don't know how deep to go into any of this, right? I, I just recently read a book called When Breath Becomes Air about this um, neurosci- neuro- neurosurgeon that uh, dies of cancer and he talks about his whole journey of, of how, how that happened. And that gave me a very unique perspective of what the, what the last six months of life ma- means. And, and these are perspectives that I typically don't seek and get, and they essentially come back to me because of these conversations. So I'm, I, I think more than anything, these conversations are path-breaking for a lot of us that don't get to experience them on day-to-day and, life. I mean, I would encourage anybody listening that the reason we're all doing these shows is so that we can kind of break down those walls and have those conversations. And um, I, I was recently told by someone in our community um, that I am not like other podcasters in our community. And I was like, okay. And I was like, is that a compliment? He's like, no, you're just not as nice. And I was like, I beg your pardon. He's like, I mean, like you, you just say it like it is. And I was like, okay. He's like, other people just use a very nice warming voice. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't do that. But what we're all doing is so hard. And I could sit here and sound like I have my stuff together, but I haven't slept in a very long time. Um, 
we on my show have something called the 4am mom club. And it is like our bonus content where we talk about random, random stuff, but it's called the 4am mom club because we all started texting each other at four o'clock in the morning when our kids wouldn't sleep. And (laughs) so do you know, do you want to know when my son woke up 4am, right? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Precisely. And that's after I figured out a way to get him to sleep past okay. 2 By the way, you should mention the yeah. name of your podcast. This is the place to plug it. We have it right in the notes. Yeah, it's called When Autumn Comes. And uh, we went with that name because we know that, you know, the colder season and the darker days are coming. Um, and my friend who started with the podcast with me. She's from Minnesota. I had never met her. We just started doing a podcast together because we talked like this and we were like, we should record this. Uh, but, but she is from Minnesota. And when she says, uh, she says autumn, like O T I M. And I was like, you mean autumn? She goes, no autumn. And when you spell mito backwards, it's O T I M. So when autumn comes and that then led to a segue, which I hope I can plug this here, but the when autumn comes was what started this for me. Um, In 2020, we just, everybody felt so isolated prior to COVID and then COVID happened and medical moms were like, y'all, we got this. We've been doing this for forever. Like welcome to our world. But we all started kind of talking more. And that's when the podcast started. And I was about two years into the podcast. Uh, Lorelai had passed and I had friends and family saying, you need to do something bigger with this. Like you need to do something. And I was like, guys, I don't have time. I'm depressed. I miss my kid. Like, no. Um, But we, I listened and I started the Apricity Hope Project. And so a play off of when autumn comes, the word apricity means the warmth of the sun in the winter. So we have autumn that started it. And then we have the warmth of the sun in the winter because we want as a nonprofit, we care for caregivers and we want to be that blanket that wraps around them in the darkest, coldest season. We want to be the light that shines for them when they are in a very cold chapter of their journey. So um, I like words and I like to play with them. And that's how we got here. <laughs> I, I love the imagery of all that. When you say when autumn comes, you talked about, oh, the dark days and everything. But wait a second. The leaves change colors. There's the beauty. People come to see that, you know, and it's the same thing you said about Lorelei's life. It's going to be epic in that two to five years, seven years, it turns out. It's perfect. It's like the beauty comes and then, yeah, you move into a new season and the warmth is still there from the sun. Yep. And there's, you know, I, I kind of, um, seeing if you're not sleeping, it's dark at night. And like, I have always told myself, like, do not make a decision right now. Like it is the middle of the night, like do what you have to do love your kid and get through this night and don't make any crazy decisions other than I do a lot of online shopping and that has gotten me into a little bit of trouble (laughs) at four o'clock in the morning. Um, But I, I just, I know that so many of us have really hard, dark nights and um, 
yeah, we just, I, I want to love on the caregivers because my village has been here. Um, for me, they were there when Lorelai was three pounds in the NICU and they were dropping coffee off for me when she was five and a half and passing in the PICU. And um, I have an amazing village and I've experienced a lot of time in the hospital and I've seen that there are families who don't and there are caregivers who don't have the support that I've had. So now with our nonprofit, we are loving on caregivers. We do caregiver packages. We have been a nonprofit for six months and we have now sent out 75 care packages. Um, and these are like boxes of hope is what I'm calling them. And it's, it's like a box of things that if your best friend sent you a package, that's the kind of stuff you're going to find in it. And um, we do hospital go bags because we know that you get to the emergency room and you don't have your stuff or you are inpatient. Um, we would do three weeks in the ICU in a normal sitting and you don't have those comforts. So we do hospital go bags that have everything from cell phone chargers to dry shampoo to, you know, uh, chapstick. I don't know why, but chapstick is like necessary in a hospital. Um, and then we have the podcast that is a program of our project. Um, we are also giving back to mitochondrial disease research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia because for Lorelai's whole life, that's what we fundraised for. And uh, they are studying, Dr. Falk at CHOP is studying FBXL4 mitochondrial disease. So we want to, you know, that like if you ask any caregiver what they want, their number one answer is that we want our kids to be healthy. We want a treatment. We want a cure. And so I couldn't completely pivot away from helping research. Um, and then I have one more thing that we do that I'm very excited about because I spent the last two hours preparing for our first one before this interview. Um, we are doing caregiver getaways. So it, we're starting out locally. Um, our first caregiving couple is leaving um, the first weekend of March, and they're going to the Outer Banks of North Carolina for three nights, four days. We're sending people away to go get like three days of respite care where they can like sit with their partner or by themselves if they want and just be at the beach. And we're arranging, you know, a massage for them. We're arranging things like that that are either donated or um, we're funding. And I just want people to be able to, like, go find themselves for a couple days. So our first uh, first couple's going away in two weeks. And that's what I was working on before we hopped on this call. That is incredible. That's incredible. We've been um, struggling to get away from the home for last several months. Uh, and finally, we got our. We got. I got my parents to come in and, and help us for a few weeks. And after they stepped in, both me and my wife struggled to disconnect after you know stepping out. It was not an easy task at all. And I think I've permanently changed. Uh, I, I I cannot I cannot disconnect. I, I think it is just a part of who I am. And so, being able to give people the opportunity to get away for a few days. Um, knowing that that their home is taken care, that 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 the new place that they go to is carved out for them, I think it's two big benefits. One is obviously they get the time away, they get the respite, but 
after they come back, I think the gratitude and the love they would have felt through the last three days, I think is going to last for years, right? And in tough times, people would look back at this few days of respite that they gotten and gotten through the gratitude of so many other people. And I think that will change your, hopefully lower down your stress levels um, to a point where you can get through whatever you're getting through. So I'm so incredibly excited for what you're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, we had a family friend send us to their beach house for a week and it wasn't, there was nothing planned out. It was just go, go to our house and take your kids. And, um, it wasn't my husband and I, because our kids are so complex. Um, I haven't been on vacation with just my husband since before Laurel, I was born. So over seven years ago, because we realized that, um, we, pretty much make life or death decisions every day. And I could never put that on my mom or my dad or any, you know, I couldn't put that on somebody else. So we don't go anywhere together without our kids. Um, so we took up that opportunity and we went down there and our, uh, the Outer Banks is only about an hour from where we live in Virginia. And so our nurse drove down for the day and hung out with the kids and, you know, we made the best of it. But uh, what we're doing is so hard. It is just so, so hard. And I don't think unless you're in this, there's no way to ever understand it. So to be able today, I just felt so much joy to be able to put that package of stuff together for that family, because I know how I would feel if I was getting it. And, you know, it just meant so much to me. And now we have a board of directors and I'm kind of putting them in charge of things. And they're like, this is amazing. And I'm like, I'm so amazed that they're embracing this because they're not living in this every day. So for them to learn about what I'm going through and helping other people, it, it just, it sounds so cheesy, but it warms my heart. It, it's bringing the light from a very dark chapter that, um, you know, like this is because of mitochondrial disease. This is because of my kids. There's the difference that she's making I'm right there. So is there something, one last thing you'd like to leave for our listeners? Um, of course, connect with me. Um, I would love to connect with everyone. Um, and I'm sure you'll put my stuff in the show notes. But um, if there's one thing that I would tell a caregiver, it's that um, actually I'm going to, I'm going to say this because I said this to Brittany yesterday. I said, you know, you are good at so many things. You're good at so many things, but you are great at taking care of your kid. You know your kid. You are great at taking care of your kid. And don't ever question that. Um, please know that caregiver to caregiver, like you are seen and what you're doing is hard, but you're doing a really great job at it. Raising Rare is produced by Salem Oaks, empowering patients and caregivers to shape the future of medicine. CureGPX4.org is dedicated to finding a cure for SSMD. You can donate to CureGPX4.org on the Raising Rare podcast page or at CureGPX4.org. The SETD5 community is currently getting organized. We will let you know where you can donate soon. You can continue to follow Raghav and Everly stories next time on Raising Rare.